Welcome back to another episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And we can keep on saying that because, boys, we are three wins on the bounce. Today, I'm joined by both Sam and Zach. Sam, let's start with you. How are those doll years doing for you? Really, like, the game just ended. Like I didn't check ago. the score. I'm so sorry. I didn't check the score. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we lost. Um, ah, you don't. You don't need to go check it. Thank you. Okay. Um, but okay, if you didn't actually know the score, then that's okay. I that's didn't. I swear. <laughs> but I wasn't trying to be mean. <laughs> beyond that, what an amazing weekend for football. I mean, I, the the form that we're playing in, it's beautiful. Um, finally, getting some hope in the team. Um, and this Premier League title battle has just gotten so interesting, and uh, I just really like it when it's like a competitive season. And you know, obviously, number one focus is I want Chelsea to finish as high as possible. But everyone loves a good uh, title fight, even if I, I mean, fucking Spurs finish the weekend in first. Yeah. That's that's how you know shit's crazy right now. Zach, what do you have to say about that? I know you probably have a word or two about Spurs being top of the table. Yeah, they'll fall off. Sun will yeah. get injured. And then <laughs> yeah. They have, of oh, course, players sure. that aren't good enough, especially that Solomon guy. And then, uh, yeah. Well, I, saw, I, I saw a really funny video, and it kind of reminded me of us. It was like all of the, there's like go, going back and forth between like fans of other teams. It's like, you're not going to tell anyone I said this, right? Like, I actually like Andre Postacoglu, whatever his name is. And uh, <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of the way Tottenham are playing. And it's like, oh, yeah, we kind of said that too. But just don't, don't tell me when we said that. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, he's a great manager and, and, and they're playing really well right now. But let's let's see if it's sustainable. I mean, they have to get through that. November December period and I kept and I talked about their squad depth. I mean that's their that's their Achilles heel right now. Like what happens if Sun gets injured? Richarlison's never consistently scored goals for them. I know they have James Madison, but if they don't have a goal scorer up top, I don't really see how they can get through that period. So Sun's always good for a hamstring injury every season too, so it's inevitable that he's gonna be out. I don't know. I'm trying to be glass half full and they're Tottenham, so like they'll never win anything ever. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Only a matter of time. The real question is, who would you rather have win the title if it ends up like this at the end of the year? Arsenal (laughs) Spurs. Yeah. Oh Lord, that's a tough one. Forbidden question. Let's just let's go, City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just gonna keep pulling for City. (laughs) Honestly, nobody cares when City wins the league. You know? Yeah. Because we all know the truth that none of those fans were here 10 years ago. So it's like, whatever. Yeah. The PSG but guys, England. last I checked, this was a Chelsea podcast. We have to talk about our match. We won 4-1. to one. 
So I just want to point out multiple things. Three wins on the bounce. We scored more than two goals in one game. And we came back from a one-goal deficit to win a game. When was the last time in this podcast where we can say this hap- this series of events happened? Just think about that for a second. Probably like since last or like March or something. Bro, like not it's even. Been a while. It's been at Fall least 2021. Holy moly. Since think about what? That. Since we won, th- actually, no, fall 2022, we won a couple games in a row under Potter, I think. But that was the oh. new manager bounce. Yeah. I don't even know if we won games in a row under Potter in the fall either. I might be talking out of my ass. I know we were I undefeated so. for seven matches, but I don't think we won three in a row. I don't but, think so either. Yeah, I'm stumped. But the fact that we won in the Premier League against a... Usually a team that does a low block. I don't think they quite did that this time around. But a, a mm. typical proper British, you know, big bodies. We're just going to defend and force one mistake out of you. We did it, guys. They scored. The first half was complete trash. We, we should probably start there. Um, our lineup was the 4-3-3 we all expected. You know, the same old, same old cuckoo at right back. Disasi Tiago. In the center back, Colwell left back. The midfield three of Gallagher, Caicedo, and Enzo. And uh, the front three was actually Palmer, Broja, and Sterling. So Sterling getting a start again. It, it came out that he was sick earlier this week, which is why he didn't play against Brighton. And Broja earning a start after shining on Monday. So with that said, I think we all expected to come out of the gates and just dominate, which was completely not the case. The first half was uh, slow. It was boring. It was frustrating. Burnley was by far the better team on the pitch, I'd say. And we conceded the first goal. Mm -hmm. And the first goal was just our whole back line had a nightmare. It started with Colwell. Uh, kind of getting beat on the left wing. Then Tiago stepped way too far forward, which he does not have the wheels to get back anymore. Then Disasi has to cover for Tiago and turns slower than a truck. And then Kukureya doesn't close down their left winger, which is an open shot on Robert Sanchez, who didn't even have time to dive. Do you guys have anything to say about the goal? Or at least... The disaster of a first half. What are some things you guys noticed that just gave you PTSD a little bit? Zach? The biggest one for me is the sideways passing. The Kukurea to Disasi to Caicedo or Gallagher, back to Kukurea, back to Disasi, back to Kukurea, switch to Tiago Silva, then the ball goes to Colwell, back to Tiago. It, it was just like every single time it was the most predictable passing pattern you could possibly and i don't necessarily think it was that bad in the first half from the front three um i i didn't think broja's movement especially wasn't that bad we just weren't looking for him like nobody was willing to make those line breaking passes or or play that risky ball and i'm only referring to the back line here because i think enzo and caicedos and gallagher to be fair to them they tried but I mean, we've talked on this podcast time and time again about how important our service is from the back four. 
especially from guys like Colwell and guys like Disasi, who are who do tend to be good long range passers and line breaking passers. So, you know, they were pretty much nowhere to be seen in possession in that first half. And, you know, credit to Burnley also. I didn't think they played the worst first half ever. You know, they got their goal and they deserved it. Thought they defended relatively well and they kept their shape, which is why we were passing sideways. It wasn't necessarily, yeah. you know, uh, our own doing per se, but you know, we we could have been a little bit more proactive in terms of the selection of passes and and the risk that we take, especially against a team like Burnley, who doesn't necessarily pose, you know, a counter-attacking threat. Like they'll be good for a goal, but they're not good for two or three every match. Yeah. So I feel like in this game we could have taken a little bit more chances, especially in that first half. And and Zach, you mentioned Broja. Salma, I wanted to get your opinion on, on Broja's first Premier League start for us this season. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off a really significant injury. He hasn't played uh, a full match in, you know, months. So Almost a year. Yeah, in almost a year. Then, you know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, how he looked now and i agree with zach i didn't think he was particularly poor um i don't know i just think that once you get into like a certain headspace like halfway through the half it's like you're overthinking things you're thinking like you know am i am i making the right run am i doing the right thing but zach i think you're right that they didn't they didn't find him like they weren't looking to make the forward pass i thought like Enzo, particularly, for some reason, in that first half was pretty flat. Um, and, I mean, he I think he changed it around the second half. I don't know what the adjustments were, particularly, but um, that's just what I noticed. Yeah, I, I think on the ball, I agree with you guys a bit. I think it might be a little too unfair to, to judge him there. I think Burnley did a really good job of basically covering the middle of the pitch forcing us just into that whole like U shape of possession where we would go wide. And if they covered the wide side, we have to reset and we would go wide again. And, and the middle of the field was just way too congested to do anything. But I do think that off the ball, he just wasn't doing enough. Like, I think we weren't our pressing in the first half. Usually we press from the front and I felt like his level of energy left a lot to be desired. I felt like Sterling and Palmer were, were in the right place, but with Brogia being, you know, a couple steps too slow or maybe not understanding of what the press needs to be, Burnley was really able to to find that split pass and and really just kind of cut through us like a hot knife through butter. And and to me, I thought it was the most logical move to pull him at halftime. I thought it was more than fair to remove him at halftime because of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I think we just um, needed a different look, and, and, and Poch luckily recognized that. So it's it's definitely a welcome sight to see him be proactive and make changes at halftime, too. I think that should be noted, because, I mean, we've had our gripes with it in the past, and we've drawn comparisons with, like, I mean, Liverpool, for example. They've had two or three matches now where Klopp had to make critical changes at half, and, and it worked out. I mean, he even did it in a Champions League, and they wound up getting another goal in the second half and sealing Europa the League. Then, Europa League. Or Europa let's, League. Uh, let, let's yeah, calm yeah. down. I don't want to flatter them. <laughs> I don't, let's not flatter Liverpool. But yeah, I mean, you get my point. You know, the fact yeah. that the other elite managers are proactive and they identify these mistakes and they rectify them at halftime, Poch is finally catching on. So yeah, I, hopefully I do we think, get more of that. 
I think we got we got a little bit lucky as well getting that own goal just right before the halftime whistle. Mm-hmm. But but not to discredit Poch, I think that sub was was the right move. And and we've said like you said, we've asked before for a halftime sub. I think for some reason, maybe as you know, what's it called? Armchair managers, what do they call people that yeah. like to they uh we think like, oh, it's as simple as taking out the one bad seed, right? Like I was calling for I thought Kukureya was particularly really bad in the first half. And I was like, oh, you take out Kukureya, slide every defender one position to the right, and you can add Matson. And now we mm-hmm. can add a little bit of dy- dynamic to our buildup. But, you know, I, apart from the sub with Nico Jackson, I, I also think Poch must have said something at halftime because this was one of those games where it was a tale of two halves. Like first half, dreadful. And I think second half, whistle begins. And, and we were on a whole nother level. Um, I think the energy was up, the the movement was up, and and we'll start just talking about Nico Jackson because you know it was the 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 sub that came on and and the attack looked a lot different. It's I I, I want to just go through his stats real quick before I kind of talk about his his play. He created a chance, he got himself a goal. It's his uh, second second consecutive game scoring, and he went two for two dribbling today or not today Sunday, but or Saturday. Excuse me, my God, I can't talk but he did do a nice little maradona i liked seeing that from our striker yeah. hadn't seen that sort of skill in midfield it was fun fun little skill there um and i just want to say that i think broja broja's monday performance i think kind of made nico self-reflect a little bit because i thought he was a lot more direct with his runs this time around i didn't mm-hmm. think he got pulled too too far to the sidelines where he would not be a a sort of threat back in the box where we wouldn't need our striker to be. Um, I just felt he he kind of was more laser focused on not doing the the recycling possession, but more like, how can I get us up the pitch further towards goal? And I don't know if that's just me thinking, oh, I expected this sort of bounce back or whether that's something that truly happened. Uh, is there a question there? <laughs> like, do, do you guys think that I'm just like blowing smoke up his ass, or did you guys see no. something similar there? Like, that's what, kind of what I, what I was getting at. I think, I think stylistically, Nico was more well suited to this game, especially with the lack of penetration um, in terms of the passing. Nico does tend to drop a little bit deeper and play like a false nine kind of role um, at times, where he would drop into the midfield pick the ball up, spray it out wide to one of the wingers, and then continue his run forward. And then that's how we transition up the pitch. Andres, that's what you were alluding to earlier. So I think it's just a matter of style. Um, I think Nico was also you know, very hungry. He scored against Brighton. Like you mentioned, it's his second consecutive game scoring. So you know you have to put yourself in his shoes. If you're a young striker, and let's not forget, strikers thrive off of confidence and scoring goals, right? Nico just scored. He gets uh, or he gets suspended. He scores in the EFL Cup. He knows he can't play the following game. Then he sees the striker he's competing with get a goal in his first start. I mean, that just shows you the kind of mentality that he has, right? Like he's gonna he's not the type to just sit back and mope and complain. Instead, he put his head down. He got his opportunity in the second half, and I mean, he has the goal to show for it. And I think, honestly, as of right now, you, you continue to start Nico Jackson, um, especially if he plays like this. But with that being said, I don't necessarily think Broja hurt his stock in this game. I think uh, what we got out of him in the first half 
Um, I think the plan all along was whatever we get out of Broja against Burnley will be gravy because he isn't a hundred percent. And also, you know, the performance against Fulham, it did put a lot of credit in the bank as well. If you're Pochettino, you look at the Fulham performance and you just got a glimpse of how Broja can dominate a game at center forward. And then on the flip side, you could see how Jackson could dominate a game as a center forward. So it's a good problem to have. We keep saying it, but you know, this competition at the nine position is going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, you know, as the season unfolds. Yeah, fitness, fitness definitely being the the big thing against Broja. I don't think outside of that, there's much to fault him there. It's not like he missed three chances or anything like that. He was just not given the opportunity to put anything on frame. So yeah, a little bit different. Um, talking about more things that changed in the second half. Uh, Cole Palmer's role changed a lot in the second half. He mm-hmm. he was playing out in the right wing in the first half, clearly just on the right side. And in the second half, it was much more clear that upon winning possession, he was going to be covering that sort of 10 role, shifting to the middle right behind Nico Jackson with Connor Gallagher getting out to the right wing as soon as he could. And and Palmer got to do what we've seen him do for the past month now. He created two chances, completed 30 passes, got himself a goal off a penalty. He also got his first Premier League assist. So, Sam, I want to ask you what Black Emoji wants to know. Cole Palmer, is he the new Stanford secret sauce? I, I, I want to answer basically with Cole and Gallagher kind of in one, like putting it together because they've created quite the conundrum for both myself and for uh, Pochettino. Uh, so, Cole Palmer... Definitely, definitely exceeds. He he plays so much better in the middle of the field, and I think him at the ten is his best position, and makes us also look the best because his dribbling, his distribution, he's like a maestro in the front, and um, I just think he has way more options when he's in the middle as opposed to being on the wing. Now, with that being said, Gallagher, I know we have our bet going on, Zach, and I don't think we need to ask Andreas <laughs> his opinion on whether he thinks Gallagher has been good or not. He's been great. He's been yeah. really good this year. And it's just, like, it's really hard to justify dropping him when he's providing so much. He's... Definitely the hardest worker on the team. Um, I, I think the whole proper Chelsea kind of thing, it, it's a little bit of a joke, but also at the same time, I think if it's a real thing, he's got it. Um, and it's it's kind of making me feel like I, I hope we don't sell him, even though we were linked to it and it seemed like the most interesting option. Because I think he really does have a lot of passion for the club and he loves playing for us. So I just don't know how we're going to move forward. Like Gallagher at wing, I don't know. I mean, I thought that was okay. So if mm-hmm. we can, if, if he, we can adjust the starting lineup and have him play on the wing more, that accommodates both Cole Palmer and Gallagher, getting them both on the pitch together and getting the best out of Cole Palmer whilst, like, not reducing Gallagher's role too much. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree to an extent. I don't think playing Gallagher as an out-and-out right wing is was the intention in this game. I just think it was a clever, you know, changing of positions based on the circumstance, right? Like, when we when we get possession, Cole Palmer is a left-footed player playing on the right side, so naturally he's going to cut in and um, occupy the the central areas of the pitch, which, like you said, Sam, I mean, that's where he wants to operate. He likes to pick up the ball in that little pocket. Uh, right in between the midfield and the forwards, and he likes to face the goal and and make up his mind from there. And you know he does have the triple threat. He he's very silky on the ball. Um, he's not easy to nick possession off of. He's very clean with his possession as well. He doesn't shit uh, shit possession away at all. Um, you know that's part of the uh, the Pep school. Um, but you know that killer pass is really the main thing with him. And and we saw it with the Nico Jackson goal. I mean that just kind of encompassed what kind of player he is, right? most 20, 21-year-olds would completely fuck up that chance. They would probably try to hit that ball first time or they'd miscontrol it and get pushed out wide and have to play it back to one of their center mids and reset their attack. Instead, Cole Palmer traps it. He takes a breath. He looks up, calmly and composed, passes it to Nico Jackson. And Nico Jackson actually followed suit with Palmer. He stayed composed as well on the finish. So I think that's his most unique attribute as a player. And the thing that I've been pleasantly surprised with the most is that this guy's a 21-year-old, but when the ball is at his feet, he has a composure of a of a 30-year-old veteran, you know, a guy that's been in the league longer than he's been in, in it, right? Um, but, you know, going to the, the Connor Gallagher, you know, conundrum that we're having, I mean, this is awesome. I talked about the problems we had, the good problems we have in terms of competition for striker. You know, with Sterling's performance, we obviously have competition at the wing um, with him, Mudrick, and Palmer playing well. And now we have competition in the midfield as well because Gallagher is basically undroppable. I mean, I would even argue, I told Andres this prior to recording, you could make an argument that Gallagher put in a man-of-the-match performance. You know, he was one of the standout players in the second half. Um, and arguably our standout player of the season if you're going to look at all the games, um, you know, in their entirety. So, you know, more power to Gallagher. I, I, th I think he continues to play the way he plays and finishes the rest of the season strong in terms of dropping him. Um, as of right now, you can't. You really cannot. Yeah. You know, he's too important to what we do. And, you know, funnily enough, it's it's really him and Enzo doing a lot of the defensive work and Caicedo playing free safety in that midfield. And their chemistry is just clicking right now. You know, they're able to dominate the game in possession. They're able to snuff out any threats uh, in opposition midfield. And, you know, they're all putting in a shift and they seem to be getting along pretty well, too. So yeah, it's these, good these... problems to have. These two guys, like Sam was saying, Palmer and Gallagher, like if you're starting both, then, then our left wing is the one that's going to feel a bit unfair, right? Sterling yeah. had a good game today, and we'll get to him later. Mudrik has been picking up form, but there's only 11 spots on the field. My big thing that, you know, again, Sam's asking, like, who do you start? Who do you play? It's like, I think the big headache here is, is the long-term planning of the club because Poch clearly likes Gallagher. The club mm -hmm. is trying to figure out if they're going to extend him and whatnot. But we just spent so much money on other center mids. We spent, yeah. obviously, Caicedo and Enzo. Lavia is coming back from injury. So that's one. You got Leslie Ugochuku still at the club. That's two. Andre Santos on loan. Three. Cesare Casade on loan. Four. That's now four midfielders who you brought in to be, quote unquote, the future of this club. And it's not like Gallagher is 30 years old and we're pushing him out. He's in his early 20s, too. He's 23, 24, I believe. So now it's, 
Poch clearly loves Gallagher, and Gallagher has stepped up massively this season. <laughs> what the hell is going to happen to all these other names that we were supposed to believe were next? Can you read a uh, 12 Bants Chelsea's uh, question and then like the stats also that go along with yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. To, to put it into perspective, 12 Bants Chelsea asked, you know, he goes, these were his stats prior to, to Burnley. I suspect nothing has changed. I don't believe they have. He was immense. Has to be the first team in the uh, name on the team sheet. Um, so the stats he posted, he's got the most duels won, most possessions won in the final third, most possession won in the middle third, most tackles made, most interceptions. Those are all Connor Gallagher stats. Like it's a freak. It, it this is it's crazy because whenever we signed Lavia and Caicedo, all the memes were the midfield is going to be Lavia, Enzo, and and Caicedo, and that that midfield creates the perfect balance based on you know their their sort of football radars from all last season. You know their xG, their their expected assists, their defensive work, their tackles. And we're getting that right now, but with Gallagher in midfield next to Enzo and Caicedo, the four-three-three that that I thought was going to be what was going to be happening in October, November, is happening, but with a guy that we thought was going to be sold for pure profit. Mm-hmm. He was not part of this project twenty thirty. He was not part of uh, who are the two directors right? It was Stanley and and. Uh, God, I'm blanking out. Lawrence? Yeah. The guys that made the, all these moves and they moved contracts, signed young guys and all this planning. And I think he is just the biggest headache to those guys because there is no way in hell you can pitch to the fans right now that Gallagher is sold for $40 million. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 we're really going to talk about his transfer fee. I mean, we were willing to take 40 or 50 this summer. I mean, I think it's upwards of 60 now. I just don't think think you can sell him. I don't think Poch is going to even, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, he's not even going to pick up the phone if they tell him that they want to sell him. Yeah, I don't get the vibe Poch will green light the sale. I mean, he's our captain right now under Poch. But but what he does, like, I mean, you just read those stats. You know, you expect our 120 million pound signing. In, in Caicedo or Enzo to be putting up those kind of stats in the midfield. Not Connor Gallagher, but yet he does it time and time again. And, you know, based on what I've seen, when he plays for England, he plays a similar role for them too. Like it's, you know, this is just who he is. And I feel like every successful team in Europe, if you go down through all of the great teams, they always had a Connor Gallagher type player, like an all action, balls to the wall, could always play the 90 minutes. You know, always, always available, stays away from getting injured. I mean, he just does everything for you. I do also want to point out before we move on to Sterling that when we get our fullbacks fully healthy and, and you can have both Reese James on the right and or even Malagusto for that matter. And then on the left, maybe someday we see Chilwell playing left back again, where these guys are going to have the freedom to overlap. Having Connor Gallagher there to cover ground and cover their ass when they bomb forward is going to be so, so important. So again, I, it's crazy, man. The, the, the glow up of Connor Gallagher at Chelsea is, is crazy. And who would have thought that the four, three, three was going to be the solution to all that. So props to him because he has on his own forced 
the world to to take notice. I think you know, long gone are the days of of Gala Dog or whatever the meme was at the time. Yeah. Uh, but we got to talk about the the guy that won man of the match in this one, and it's Raheem Sterling. Uh, I misspoke earlier. He didn't miss Brighton. He missed Fulham while he was ill. He was not chosen for the Carabao Cup, so he missed Monday's match against Fulham. Um, but then he comes in today, and in the first half, he was our only source of any sort of threat. If the ball got to Sterling, he was putting his head down and trying to dribble at someone because, well, nothing else was happening. And to to go through it, he created the chance that led to an own goal. He was fouled in the box to earn the penalty. And then he scored one himself. So if you kind of add those together, he had kind of a weird MacGyver hat trick. Well, I would go one step further. I mean, he helped create uh, Jackson's goal also. I mean, he, he, beat, he destroyed his defender down the byline. Like a nice little 40-yard run before he played that cross into Palmer, too. So Yeah, the most un, um, unorthodox way of, of getting man of the match. Create, he got his goal, an own goal, earned a penalty, and like double hockey assisting the fourth goal. The, <laughs> the point is that this guy was everywhere. And, you know, Kevin, Kevin on his soapbox was asking, he says, Sterling question has been settled. His Premier League career is phenomenal. Now he's back to his best pace, dribbling, finishing. He is far and away the best wide man in our squad. Do you agree? I'll open up the floor before. Hmm. Uh, I still need to see this for a prolonged period of time for me to ag- agree. But we don't have too many wide players that are playing in form right now. <laughs> right. Um, I think we have a lot of talented players, but I the if you're gonna compare it to Mudrik who, like you said earlier, has been playing much better, Sterling is still a level above that. And he should be. He like yeah. like you said, he he's a he's a seasoned Premier League veteran. And yes, he's had an illustrious career, but his time at Chelsea has been very disappointing, and it's starting to turn around. I think I said this like week one. I, I you know, I went off on him, think you know, saying how much I hate him, and you know, he's just like not looking good. But then I I finished it off by saying I would not be surprised if Raheem Sterling turned it around but he needs to do it and it needs to be for a prolonged period. So I left the door open. I left the door <laughs> open for this to happen. And um, I'm glad I did because he's looking pretty good. Yeah. So Zach, I know, I know off air you mentioned so far, his big performances have been Luton, who is a hundred percent getting relegated. Oh, and then, true. and then a promoted side in Burnley. So yeah, is there relegation. still more that needs to convince you? I mean, he look, he played well against West Ham. I think West Ham was the only good team that he played well against um, this season, especially away. But, you know, I, I actually, I'm going to disagree with Sam. I think right now he is the best wide man in our squad. I don't think Sam uh, said he wasn't. <laughs> no, I, uh, Sam, Sam didn't, never said he was or wasn't. He just kind of left the door open. I'm going st- to stake my claim and say at this point in time, and it could change, but as of right now, 
I think he's our best wide player, especially when he plays like this. Um, you know, I've been listening to you know a lot of the post match uh, um, interviews with the players and the managers. And uh, Sterling, he always says, every single time he had a good performance this season, he always said the same thing afterwards. He goes, you know, I'm playing in my preferred position where I'm able to pick the ball up and run at players and kind of, you know, make things happen. And that's really where he is at his best. I think if you look at the squad, Sterling is our most technical dribbler. Um, I think he probably has the highest dribble success rate this season in our team. I, I, I don't know. Somebody could fact check me on that, but... I would argue, I won't be surprised if he is the highest uh, dribble success rate on the squad. And, you know, he, he does have that end product. When he's banging like he was against Burnley, he does have a goal in him and he does have an assist or two in him. And, you know, this is the second time this season where he's created a penalty for us as well. Um, you know, he did so against West Ham also. So that we can't discount that aspect of his game either. I mean, when you just look at everything that he offers... I think he offers more than a Mudrik does um, at this point in time, because I really think that's his only competition. We haven't seen Madueke. Don't th I wouldn't consider Nkunku a winger. Same thing with Cole Palmer. Like, yeah, he plays on the wing, right. but he's not an out-and-out -out winger. Yeah, just, he does some... Tom just talked different... about how his preferred position should be the 10. Yeah, and I agree. exactly. So, so, so they're different players. But if you're talking about just wingers, yeah, Sterling, Sterling's a, a level ahead right now. But... Hey, let, let's change. throw hey, let's throw Connor Gallagher in that mix. He's still <laughs> winger now too. But so, my he, argument earlier was he wasn't deployed as a winger. Yeah, he know. he shifted into it. But so, he just uh, shifted over there. Yeah, Zach to to confirm, he does have the most successful dribbles per ninety. He's currently at two point three. Mudrik is second at two point two, and Nico Jackson is the third nice. at two point one. So uh, to to final to go ahead, Tom. I just wanted to clarify. So. Kevin on a soapbox, his question was, or his statement was, now he is back to his best. Uh, he is far and away the best wide man in our squad. Do you agree? Yes. No, I do not agree. He's not back to his best. And he's not far and away the best wide man. Yes, I agree with Zach that he is our best wide man, it. but it's not far and away. I, I think Mudrik is the... Is 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 catching up to him, like as there's, far as like good the number of like impressive matches played, they're probably even, even though like the the uh, high the level of performance for Raheem Sterling was much higher than you know um, yeah Mudrik's good matches. Yeah, and I think that's where I'm at. It's like far and away is is a bit of a a stretch because like Zach mentioned, Luton, everyone is destroying Luton. Spurs beat them with one less player this past weekend for to give you an idea. And we played like he yes, he got his goals, but that's the only time we've seen him really do that until today. Uh I think he is our best wide man today. And and my my thought process is Madueke is not playing. He's not even being selected. Chilwell was deployed at left wing for a while. Like he was not our best winger to, when also, he was. Also, to to say that he's by far our best, like to to put it at that point, then Chilwell should have never started at left wing. Period. No matter how you play it, like if if Sterling was that much better and performing that much better than everyone, then we would have never seen a defender at winger or Mott no, getting minutes it and everything like that. 
it didn't it, it actually doesn't matter whether he was far <laughs> farther and away uh, or whatever he shouldn't have Ben Chilwell should have not been playing as a winger to begin with in general it but, doesn't matter how good Sterling's playing but ba- back to Sterling yes he is our best wide man and i think in in my perfect world i think we need him starting on on one wing and I would like to see another winger opposite of him with Cole Palmer at the 10. I think that that would bring the most success in, in the attack. But again, we have the big headache of Connor Gallagher. But uh, yeah, Sterling seems to be at his best for his Chelsea period of his career. Um, if you talk about back to his best. And I hope he keeps scoring. We need him to. Because at the end of the day, uh, he has the most experience here. So he has been in a situation where... He knows where to place it around the keeper and that sort of thing. Whether his finishing agrees with his brain, that kind of varies. You know, I've seen him now take a couple shots that end in a throw in somehow. But I don't want to discredit this. I think he needs to start next match. Um, obviously, he's not traveling with England, so he'll get to stay at Cobham and prepare for the Arsenal match. And as much as I love Mikala Mudrik and and I personally want to see him continue to get the minutes at left wing i can't argue not starting sterling over him um if it, if that's the decision it comes down to next match so that's where i'm at um but boys the game obviously puts us at three wins in a row we have a few questions about this so i'll, I'll read them both and we can then kind of unpack those together so human capital department says with three wins on the bounce two in the league, one in the cup. Have we turned the corner? The games after international break look tough. Have we now got enough confidence and resilience to pick up points and keep building? And then I think this is a first time question. It's from at Chris Va and then a bunch of numbers. (laughs) I'm not going to spew those out. How do we not get carried away with these wins when knowing the real test is in the next 10 fixtures? So here's here's my, I'm going to go first on this one. Because I know I'm the ever optimist, but in the last three matches, because of how shitty we began the season, I don't think we will see low blocks until probably December again. Which means space for runners like Mudrik, space for runners like Broja, space for runners like Sterling. The midfield three seems to be doing enough work to disrupt a lot of these attacks. I'm not saying we're going to go unbeaten in the next 10 matches. That is not happening. We have by far the hardest next 10 matches in a while. We have City, we have Arsenal, we have Tottenham at some point. I believe we have Man United as well. Not that Man U is good, but we suck against Man United in the past five years. It's always a nil-nil or a Mm 1-1. But based on how we're playing, based on how the team connections are building within the field and the movements are happening and the fact that we are in theory getting healthier i think this team is back to being the competitive chelsea that is a real threat to be in the top five of the premier league that's where i'm at right now i expect maybe somewhere along 17 out of 24 points um in the next sort of games i believe that you know we can pull out a result maybe shock a team or two uh, with maybe a draw or even a an underdog victory. But I feel far more optimistic going into this than I did, you know, two weeks ago. So um, how 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 are you feeling about these next 10? 
So, uh, uh, there's two parts to my answer. My first one, um, the, the question asking, how do you not get carried away with these wins? What's wrong with, like, being irrationally happy about, uh, <laughs> it, it, like, the shit that we've been through for the past two years? Enjoy this, because... It, it, it chances are we're not going to have many more chances or moments like this throughout the season. Um, and then I think the issue with the beginning of the season is that it's not just that we were losing. It's just that we looked like shit. And I saw a clip of some guy, some, some Chelsea fan. He said, Oh, what? Like he was mad after a loss. He's like, <laughs> I quit two jobs and I've, I haven't missed a match in like three I years, four years, or something, and I'm like, "Wow, this guy's fucking not the best representation of us." But he said something along the lines of, <laughs> "Like, I don't care if we win or not. I just want them to like try to look good." And I, at first, I was like, "Oh man, like, are we at the stage where it's like, I don't care if we lose, like, win or lose?" <laughs> but I think we are. Like, if we don't get the results that we were hoping for. As long as we're performing well and like you can actually see something, it, it might not be there, but something that'll come in the future, I will be okay with that. So um, that's just the way I'm going to see the rest of the season. Like if, if, if we look good and it's just like great performances from certain players, if we lose, I can live with it. I, I would prefer not to lose to Arsenal, but, but <laughs> who knows? I mean, I'm in a similar boat to you, Sam. I, I'm not necessarily looking at this season and saying, how far can we go? I'm looking at this season and saying, okay, now that we've put together some sort of momentum, we have some sort of identity as well. Poch is, he tinkers with his lineups, but he has like his core group of players that he likes to rely yeah. on. We talked about He's Conor Gallagher, Caicedo, Enzo, Desasi started every single game. Um, you know, Nico Jackson as well. He's, you know, I, I think he's going to be favored over Broja long term. Um, you know, Poch is sort of figuring out now you know, what players he can rely on and where he can get the most out of them. Um, so I think there are going to be more games this season where we, you know, slap teams around. And I think there are going to be matches against some of the better teams where we are competitive. Like I've seen enough in our possession game. Um, I've seen enough defensively to feel comfortable with playing one of the big boys and maybe not leaking three or four or five goals and actually being competitive. And uh, maybe nicking a couple wins or, 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 you know, getting a draw on the road. I think any of those are positive results for us. So um, that's with that being said, I do want to caveat it with the realistic side of my argument. And that is there are going to be more growing pains. There are going to be matches where Potch just flat out gets it wrong. There are going to be matches where Cole Palmer is not banging or Sterling it reverts back to, you know, the Sterling of last season. Or Kukurea has another nightmare half like he did in the first half today. Like those things are going to happen; they're inevitable. You know, we're going to have conversations about Thiago Silva again, I'm sure. Um, but with that being said, I think if you look, it, if the season ends tomorrow, the way I'm going to look at it is: okay, did we get significantly better between the beginning of the season and now, and can we get better for next season? Like that's going to be the real question to ask at the end of this season. 
And just after these three wins, I could tell you right now, I feel very confident that we do play good football and that we'll, that we are going to, you know, maybe get some surprising results between now and the end of the year. I don't think we're going to roll over against Arsenal. I don't think we're going to roll over against, you know, uh, when we go to Anfield away, you know, I, I, Man City, you know, that's always a toss up when it comes to Chelsea, but you know, it's, it's a very different vibe that we're feeling from this team and very different cohesiveness. I think we might have lost Zach there for a it's second. A month ago. Just, what was that, Andres? We lost you there for a second, but <laughs> oh, you lost me. You, you, yeah, but you I'll wrap, up. It, I'll wrap it up in a sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think overall it is going to be a successful season for us. But that's just the barometer that I'm looking at. It. I'm not necessarily looking wins and losses. It's more, you know, soft. what's the end product? Y'all are soft. We should be still I pushing. Agree fifth and sixth minimum like we can't like i'm not gonna take xg moral victories anymore because then these arguments could have kept potter's job like we need to get the results and i think that you can't this team cannot be below sixth place by the end of the season i agree that yes we need to be trending in the right direction i think we're already there you talk about like the blunders and like oh we're gonna have growing pains sure but we still in this shitty season that we're celebrating three in a row, we have the tie we're tied for second best defense in the league. Like we are still very solid at the back. And yes, we will lose a game or two by multiple goals. I know that that'll happen. But I don't see a world where we're suddenly like oh, we played beautiful football and still stayed ninth in the league. Like in the next 10 matches, right, we have Arsenal, uh, City at one point, Tottenham, and Newcastle. Newcastle, and Brighton. We've already beaten Brighton, honestly, twice this year. We beat them in the summer, struggling. and then That's we beat right. them in, in Carabao, and, and I feel like they're figured out. Brighton, the Zerbies patterns, because that's what they are. Patterns have been figured out, and I think we can do something there. I think Tottenham, rivalry game, there is a lot to prove there for Poch because it is at White Hart Lane coming home. Like, there's a lot riding in that game. And then Newcastle, by the end of November, that's a lot more games that they're going to be playing than us because Champions League is still there. They're still in the, in the League Cup. Like, there is reason to believe that the only losses in the next 10 could be two of Arsenal, Spurs, and City. So two losses out of the next 10 and then some draws sprinkled in and then and then wins like we could be climbing up this table a lot faster than I think people think. I'm not saying we'll win 13 in a row like we did on their Conte, but like we got past the injury crisis like Chukwameka was on the bench. We can't forget how key he was early on like Sterling, Mudrik, Madueke, they're healthy. Both our strikers are healthy now. Malo Gusto is back from a red card. Reese James has been training and might be even available for Arsenal. Like, I I don't see us going backwards from here. And and so to to go back to Chris's question about how do we not get carried away, I'm letting myself get carried away. It's time. Like, I'm not going to defend Poch if we lose a bunch of these games. Like, we are trending upwards with like a, not an A team, but like a, where the starting varsity team and a couple of the JV guys sprinkled in. Like, mm -hmm. 
I, that's where I'm at mentally. And so, yes, I want us to progress and I want us to have our 11 guys and all that good stuff that you guys are talking about, but I need the results to match. Like it, it, the whole project thing, we talked about Postacoglu earlier. We talked like there's other managers proving that you don't need months of losses to get there. Look, I, I agree with you 100%. You said that means Zach were being soft. I agree. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to temper my expectations, but I think the missing piece that we, or the biggest mystery that we haven't discussed is Nkunku coming back, because you mentioned the varsity team with, you know, sprinkled with some JV players. We're also missing arguably our best player in Nkunku. For sure. So that is a huge question mark. As a, you know, as far as how soon does he come back? What is his impact going to be? Like, will he completely change the way we play? Um, I, I'm really excited for that, and I think if he comes in and he starts perform like he performs like he did in Germany, then I'm going to be with you. This team has no excuse to not finish top five. How many points? Let's see. Villa sixteen points currently. Chelsea eleven. Five difference. Like, that's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. who does like we have Eight a ton of games. Like and again, those were our dark times. We're talking about the fact that three wins in a row is fantastic news. Like Aston Villa also is in that Europa Conference League where they're traveling to fucking Lithuania and shit every Thursday. Like these dudes mm-hmm. are not built for competing for top five this year sorry i don't care how many miracles good evening has in his fucking back pocket they're gonna run out like they have an easier schedule while we're struggling but like it'll catch up to them like i i fully believe like we are going to be in that conversation and i think the official coefficients or whatever they call it for champions league came out and there will be a fifth champions league spot like that is basically like all the English teams need to royally fuck up in Europe for us to not get the fifth Champions League spot right now. So, yeah, I, I'm letting myself get carried away. Simple as that. Well, Brighton's on their way to fucking around in Europe. So that's good. I know they're bottom of their group. Yeah, that's yeah. just one, though. <laughs> hopefully hopefully they don't ruin it for the rest of us. But uh, <laughs> moving on, moving on to the next question. This one from Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme. He says, outside of the silly yellow card and that pass to Sanchez, what did you guys think of Caicedo's performance? Immaculate. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Hey, man. He's, uh, he's, he's fit. He's fun to watch, man. He is a lot of fun to watch. He's way better in possession than I ever thought he would be. His first touch is phenomenal. The ball rarely gets away from him. He's a little hasty with some of the tackles, but listen, we need one of our midfielders to have bite. Um, you know, and I think Caicedo complements Gallagher well because what they lack in terms of size, they supplement with their physicality and and the weight of their tackles and challenges. I love the guy. And, and to be fair to him, let's not forget that, you know, his debut was a nightmare and he was getting slaughtered on social media and even in the mainstream media, you know, for the first couple weeks of his Chelsea tenure. So for him to just kind of buckle down, focus on his game, get fit and, you know, turn in 
solid performance after solid performance i mean it's 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 a it's a sight to behold you know he gives me seven out of ten every single week vibes like prime aspie you know like you know exactly what you're gonna get he's not gonna make very many mistakes um and he's just gonna be consistent like he he's really you know living up to that price tag granted it was inflated but nonetheless living up to it for me, I, it just makes me like hindsight 2020. We should have just given Brighton exactly what they wanted so he could have had a full preseason with us. Yeah. Because you can tell that he's fully fit. He understands his role now. And we haven't seen the bad West Ham performance. You know, I think every week he's only gotten better. I think he was 96% on his passes, five of six on long balls. He was a defensive machine in terms of recoveries, tackles, and, and all that. Like four duels won, nine recoveries. Just crazy numbers, like dare dare I say, Conte esque. You know, like he's he is becoming that sort of destroyer in midfield for us. And like you said, it's not just tackles, and then he just dumps it in a little five yard pass. Like he's dribbling up the pitch. He's he's making. He had the hockey assist for the Mudrik goal. He had, I believe, a hockey assist against Fulham as well. So I think he's, he had one against Burnley also, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. Like the, the point is he is involved in all faces of the game, even though he's our deepest midfielder. And, you know, I, I think that this isn't a glamorous position. So when you talk about him being the Premier League uh, record signing, it's hard to, you know, compare him to like a, a striker that's worth 100 million who scores a lot of goals. But if you're not hearing about Caicedo in the news, then he is living up to his price tag. That's how I see it. And now let's finish because we have two weeks, but two weeks to prepare for Arsenal. They're tied for first with Spurs, both on 20 points. Exact goal differential. They just beat Man City 1-0. Saka most likely will still be injured. Uh, They had said that Martinelli was injured, but then Martinelli came on and scored the winner. So I'm not going to (laughs) believe... their injury reports unless I truly see players miss games because Trostard is apparently injured. I don't believe that either. Uh, but how are you guys feeling before we get into predictions? Like where, if I don't know if you guys caught the Arsenal versus City match or, or any of the Arsenal matches mm-hmm. so far, but is this a game where we're a complete underdog realistically or, or is there points of Arsenal's team that we have a good matchup? Uh, I think the media is going to paint it. Oh, go for it, Sam. Sorry. I just, I just, I'll just say something quick. Um, you're saying Arsenal is tied for first. They're not. They're in second. Let's just not. Let's just make sure that they're not. They don't think they're in first. <laughs> they're in second place because of goals scored. Okay, so let's, fair. Let's, we'll pre- we'll preface it that way. Zach, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. I I think the mainstream media is definitely gonna frame us being the underdog you know, who probably doesn't have a chance. And if we could get a draw, it's going to be like a win. But the fact of the matter is it's a London derby. Um, and I think the Chelsea, listen, if anybody understands the intensity of a London derby, it's Pochettino. And I think he's going to be able to communicate that with the players. Um, I think the players will have an understanding of how important the game is too. And it's, it's going to be one of those where I'm not going to go out and say like, yeah, we're going to roll them over and, you know, spank them. But I think we'll be competitive. Like, like I really think that it will be a tight game, and it, and it will come down to just you know a goal difference. 
um, ultimately, especially if Arsenal's missing Saka. Um, you know, there's no word yet on Trussard, so Saka's Saliba probably... got hurt too, right? Yeah, I, I I was reading about that also. So you know, they're two of their best. I mean, their best defender and their best attacker are injured in Saka and Saliba. You could just put it that way. But more to the Saka point, I mean, that's their most clinical finisher too. I think he leads the team in goals. He's a hub, uh, yeah, and yeah. assists. Like yeah, he so. he was contributing on everything. And yes, you have Odegaard still, but. Who is going to take that Bukayo Saka spot? I think they put Gavi Jesus out there, and then and Ketia had to play up the middle. Yeah, and, just... and I know, I know, I know. Saka is also like he's their magic man. Like when things aren't happening, Saka's the one that could pull a rabbit out of a hat and get that, you know, deciding goal or whatever. Similar to what Martinelli did last week, but against uh, City. But I don't think Martinelli is going to be that guy week in and week out for Arsenal. At least not yet. Yeah, let's get right to it then, boys. Predictions for this game. Uh, I think I'll it'll be a draw. It. I, don't know. I yeah, think it'll one, be a 2-2 two, two draw. draw. I got 1-1. I got okay. I'm going to go 1-1 also. I think, I think we could defend well enough against them. Um, if they start Kai Havertz at striker, then we'll definitely <laughs> keep a clean sheet. God, wouldn't that be um, something? That would be, you know what I want to happen? Perfect scenario. And let a man dream for a sec. I would love for Kai Havertz to start for Arsenal and Cole Palmer to start for Chelsea. And Cole Palmer just fucking rip them to shreds. Like, goal it's, and assist it, or two goals or something like that. Like It's at the bridge, so I have a feeling that Arteta is not going to start Kai Havertz because then that dude <laughs> is going to get mentally wrecked. Yeah, like, they have to cuddle him. They, sure which they okay. have, you know, they have to give him his little penalty to make sure that he doesn't get too sad boy on them. Like, yep. man, oh, and he got I an just... assist on a deflected goal. So it's not <laughs> like a, he hasn't gotten anything on his own yet. Dude, uh, the fact that like Arsenal fans are rubbing that assi- assist in our face is hilarious. Like he didn't do anything spectacular. He just laid the ball off. It was a three-yard layoff. Like, get over yourselves. Acted like they acted like he was messy playing a Travella from you know forty-yard line-breaking pass. Like, get the fuck out of here. It, it took Cole Palmer like two less matches, and it as a starter for Chelsea as a brand new arrival on deadline day to do the exact same thing as Kai Havertz, and I think far less minutes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think. I think this is going to be, you know, they they pitched last week in the Man City Arsenal game to be the game of the season so far. And I, I really do think that this one will be like, it'll top it. I think there's going to be a lot more because it's a derby, a lot more drama involved in terms of the kind of tackles that you're going to be seeing and, and how how nippy it'll get between players and stuff. So wouldn't be shocked if uh, if you see more than five yellow cards per team kind of thing that that's what i'm hoping for at least um anything else boys we got a long break so i hope uh if you're listening out there you like international break because we don't so uh send us some uh, netflix show recommendations maybe a good movie to go see because we're going to be pretty bored for the next 10 days or so and with that we are going to close it out for another episode of the Romans. Uh, <laughs> my bad. Blues oh, on parade podcast. First one of the season. Oof. It's just it's hard sometimes. 
to make a podcast, you know. Um, tweet us at Blues on Parade. Send us any questions, your opinions. If you think that we're just hating, let us know. We like the we like the debate online. Uh, but as always, keep the flu flag flying high.